Welcome to the Hunting for Purpose podcast, the official podcast home for all human design manifestors. I'm your host, Holly Marie, a 4-6 clinic manifester, a certified human design teacher, and a manifester who is following her own creative urge to facilitate a thriving global community of aligned, powerful manifestors. Wherever you are at in your manifester journey, or even if you are here just because you love a manifester and you want to understand them a little bit more, this podcast is the place for you. Stick around for in-depth teaching, for real-life practical tips and understandings of the manifester journey, and how to become aligned and powerful and thriving as a manifester. You are here for global impact. You are here to change the world. The time is now. The journey is yours. This podcast is your home. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. We have got another guest episode today for our Manifesto Meetup series, and I'm so excited to bring this particular guest to you because the topic that we are going to discuss is one that manifestors reach out to me and ask about all the time. And I've been very resistant to creating any content or anything around this particular topic because it's just not something that I feel called to. So as soon as this manifestor said that she wanted to speak about these things, I was all on board. Um, we are going to have a chat today all about relationships, intimacy, sex and sexuality as a manifestor. And we are speaking to the divine Tessa Thank you so much for joining us, Tessa. Hi, Holly. Hi. Thank you for having me. I have been very much looking forward to this conversation since the moment it hit my calendar. So <laughs> me too. Me too. So, Tessa, I've had quite a bit to do with you um, in the Manifesto community and in the Facebook groups, but can you let all of the listeners know what your design is, a little bit about who you are and what your journey into human design was like. How did human design come into your life? Gosh, okay. Um, yes, well, um, first and foremost, so I am an emotional manifester for one, uh, single definition to be very specific. <laughs> and I found human design it feels like a million years ago, but has actually only been just a little bit. It's coming up on a year since I truly started to dive in. Um, so I found it last summer, um, peak pandemic time, and have just been rolling with it since then. I found your group. Uh, was one of the first communities I found. And obviously, as a 4-1, I dove in real deep, real quick, and got very excited. Um, to have stumbled upon a community that exists just for us. Um, so yeah, which led me to you, which led us to this moment, I suppose. I love that. And for those who aren't aware, the 4-1 profile is incredibly rare. It's the rarest of all the profiles. Um, and it's considered uh, the only profile that doesn't have any karma attached to it. There's no karmic pathway. It's, it's like the balanced 
life, right? This sort of bonus life. We are going to have another episode coming up with Tessa and another beautiful 4-1 manifester and really sharing and comparing their experiences, which is just going to be so juicy and so good, like two unicorns in one room. It's going to be magical. Um, But Tessa, what has your experience been with being a 4-1 emotional manifester, finding out about being a manifester, I guess, first and foremost? How did that land with you? And then learning all these other sort of rare parts of your design? It's it's such a loaded question. And, and I've heard this asked of many people, you know, by you and in so many podcasts and et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, it's even hard to begin that question. I think like many manifestors, my first reaction to discovering what a manifestor is was close the book, put this away. I don't wanna hear about my aura. Um, This isn't what I was expecting to hear. This makes so much sense, but I don't wanna hear it. And that was just closed and repelling. That was it. That was before then even the step of, and you have to inform and you have to tell people things and you have to ask for what you want and you have to initiate and your life is in your hands. And honestly, hearing that and just taking that in was probably the first month, six weeks of even deciding whether or not I was going to delve further into human design. I had such a strong reaction to that. Um, But obviously since then, you know, I've truly grown to love our type. I have so much love, not only for myself, but every manifester that I meet Um, We're such unique beings and we're such powerful beings. And the more that I was able to dive layer by layer through my design and learn, you know, my profile and my piece and my centers. And then beyond that, you know, start to look into my connection to others, um, my relationship. Um, It's truly just been like no other language I've ever learned and will ever learn. Um, so more than anything, it's just felt like such a gift and there's no going back. So as grateful as I am to have it, I also just look around the world and I can't help but, you know, see type everywhere I, everywhere I look and, and just wonder how, how anybody can function without this knowledge, <laughs> uh, let alone yeah. manifestors. <laughs> down the rabbit hole right never coming back out of the rabbit hole that's been um such a common experience for people who've come to human design specifically over the last year there's been this real surgence of how important and how relevant human design has become to the collective and it's so curious to look at the original teachings of human design which speak about this seven-year paradigm Mm -hmm. shift that we're going into this paradigm shift where we're moving from this very um, mentally focused collective into an energetically, right? We're we're moving in the unconscious energy now. And that began in 2020, which was last year. So I I love how you articulate that and share that. It's like, how is anybody ever moving in the world without understanding this and having these labels and having this language? Because it's super relevant. It's super relevant right now, and I think will continue to be for at least the next five or six years, right, until we reach 2027. Um, And that's also such a common experience for manifestors, 
that you described, you know, coming into human design and this sense of this is just so overwhelming, right? This is so huge that I don't actually know that I want to continue with this. Yes, it resonates. Yes, it's validating, but it's also, it's really big. Mm. Yeah. Did you reach a certain point in your journey of, of uh, I guess, like unwrapping that manifest in nature where that shifted from, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to acknowledge this into, hey, actually, now I'm really excited by this. Now I really want to participate in this and see how I can unlock this. Yeah. I think, I think for me what really shifted my energy was when I truly started to accept it as an experiment and I, I had to put it into action. So I had to start using my strategy. And like I said, you know, it, it took me a while to absorb that first. And during that time, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to start playing with that yet. Um, but from the moment that I decided, you know what? My life isn't exactly where I want it to be. You know, I have so much going on in my personal life, my professional life, all the things, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just going to try informing and see what happens. And when I started doing that, and when I started seeing the results of that, um, primarily first in my personal life, in my relationship, and then in work and, you know, my work with, with clients and every day. And that it was so quick and so easy and so undeniable that from that point on, there was no going back. Um, and I just said, okay, um, here we go. <laughs> what else can I play with? What else can I learn? Uh, what else can I test out? Because it's, it, it's mechanics and it's an experiment and so far so good. And it's, it's been surprising and, and incredible. I mean, us being here today, you know, I said weeks and weeks and weeks ago, I think I'd like to do a podcast. You know, I think I'd like to talk to Holly. I really relate with her. I love this community. You know, I'd love to be able to sit down with her. Next thing I know, you know, here we are. It's initiated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love your reference to the word experiment, right? It, it gets thrown around so much in human design because it is. Human design is this, this great complex system of experimentation, but we so often forget, and I think this is particularly relevant for manifestors because we love to be so capable and, and we love to master things. Um, and we're also vulnerable. We don't want to take something on that we think that we're not going to be amazing at, right? And mm. we're not going to be powerful at. Um, and so we tend to overlook the fact that human design is about experimentation, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Take a little bit, try it on, see what happens, have this element of playfulness and ease to what you're doing. I mean, if you could do it with anything at all, do that with informing, just experiment with informing and, and see what happens because it can, without you doing anything else, it can really create these whole situations exactly like you just described, right? This situation here is living proof of a number of different manifestors in this manifest meetup podcast series who said, oh, I, I informed the universe that I wanted this. Yeah. And then here it is created, right? So it, we're just these like cells. Yeah in this big organism, like all having this experiment together, which I just think is so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I, time with, um, you know, man, manifestors and manifesting. It's, 
it's so it's so buzzy right now. It's so buzzword, and I know you've addressed that many, many, many times. But that was a big part of it too. You know, coming in and and having to find the true and my own definition of what it means to be a manifester and what manifesting means in my life and for us as a type, but you know, more importantly for me as an individual. And a big part of that was shutting the door on everything I ever thought that I knew about the word manifesting, but still being able to be surprised when it happens and when it happens in life as a manifester. Um, mm-hmm. so it was yeah. interesting to feel that and, and have so many people in the world saying, oh, I wish I was a manifester and oh, I'm manifesting and manifester workshops and all the things. And then here we are, us manifestors, finding out we're manifestors and <laughs> wanting to run the other way. <laughs> I changed my mind. I don't want to be a manifester anymore. Send me back as a generator. It's going to be so much easier. (laughs) I would, I would love to know some of your insights and, and perhaps your personal journey, if you're willing to inform it about um, being a female manifester in relationships. What has that journey been like for you? What wisdom have you gained through that? Hmm. Well, Ra did say that he feels very deeply for the female manifester and, and that is fair (laughs) to say the least. Um, It's so hard. I mean, I don't even know where to begin, Um, but obviously as important as finding out that I was a manifester is looking at that from the female perspective versus the male and how that fits into our world and and my conditioning. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess personally, of course, um, has played the most part in my relationships, obviously. Um, but I, I didn't really understand what was happening until now, of course, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, so all of this information has you know, retroactively explained what was happening my entire life. Um, But yeah, I mean, let's go over the big stuff, right? You know, manifester women are supposed to initiate. We're supposed to initiate our relationships. We're supposed to initiate the sex in our life. We're supposed to initiate intimacy. Um, You know, at the very basic level, those are the biggest hurdles to get over, you know, societally. But we have so much more than that. You know, when we find out we're a manifester, it's not just people walking on the street who experience our auras. It's the people we love and the people who love us. And and having to sort of take the temperature of what that has looked like throughout my life before I have this knowledge and after I've had this knowledge. I mean, whoa, like where do you want to where do you want to begin? <laughs> um, what relationship? What like, you know, I I don't, it's such a loaded question. I, I think we'd have to narrow it down a little bit, (laughs) Um, but it's hard. It's hard. You know, looking at that experience of if we isolate it just to being a female manifester and the difference between experiencing life as a manifester when you're female versus, versus when you're a male. And I, you know, I talk about this quite frequently in my content because it's, I think it's really important that we understand this cross cross section between 
you know, the patriarchal society that we've been living in and the shifts that we're making out of that. You know, we've, in our lifetimes, we've been journeying through things like the rise of feminism. We're now talking about gender equality. However, female manifestors really exist on a different level of having to experience that because archetypally, a lot of the ways that our energy works and the role that we're here to play is very masculine, right? It's it's very patriarchal where we're here to initiate. We're here to take charge. We're here to unapologetically and boldly declare what we want and then receive it, mm-hmm. right? Without ever having to submit to anyone or wait for anyone. Has that been kind of understanding that cross-section has that been a big part of your journey in in recognizing how you have felt as a female? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest lesson that I learned was that I lived the first 30 years of my life as a generator Mm. and as a projector. And I played by society's rules and teachings that I was meant to wait for an invitation and that what I deserved would come to me. And that if I worked hard and, you know, I looked pretty and stood on the side that the right man would come to my life, that I would get that job motion that, you know, I wanted, but didn't tell anybody that I wanted, but knew that I deserved, but figured, you know, here it's going to come my way. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the difference between being a a female manifester and a male manifester that although the world was built for and by manifestors, you could still go as far to say that that was really built for male manifestors. And we're only right now starting to really break down those walls of, you know, women stepping into their power and other people celebrating us doing that mm-hmm. and not being intimidated by it and not trying to take it away but understanding that there are people built like us who are meant to hold that role and, and, and drive big trains that other people want to get on. And um, it takes a lot of deconditioning to do that properly. It does. It does. It's still scary. It's still scary. It's yes. So it, it still feels uncomfortable to, ask people for what I want and to inform. Um, I think most especially related to relationships and sex and intimacy and men on this planet. Um, but yeah, it feels, it, it feels uncomfortable and we're, we're getting there, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Do you think that experience of being a female with that manifesto energy and and not having that be acceptable and not having that be comfortable has that mm, dictated for you or or at least unconsciously led you into particular types of relationships that were perhaps not healthy or not balanced for you absolutely um i mean i can flip that too though and say it may be uncomfortable but i think part of being uncomfortable is learning that when you do ask and you do inform, you get what you want. Mm. So uncomfortable for other people, but also just uncomfortable for me as a manifestor woman, learning that um, and understanding my own power and what people energetically expect from me without me even realizing that. Mm. Um, But sure. Yes, absolutely. 
um, when I didn't have this knowledge, when I didn't understand myself in this way, you know, I can look back now and, and see patterns in, in every single one of my relationships where, where I was not informing, where I entered incorrectly into the relationship from the start. And, and now I know, you know, right from the get-go, they weren't set up correctly to be successful. Um, but then of more so, you know, three years down the line, five years down the line, or with, with any short-term interaction that I've had with people my entire life, um, it comes down to what was happening energetically. And, and it was very frustrating, very frustrating to wait or to uh, expect people to be able to see through my aura or, or understand how I was feeling without me telling them that. Um, you know, I, I always considered myself an extremely open, loving, warm, readable person. And I look back now and I realize for good reason, I was never described that way. And none of my partners probably would have ever described me that way and probably will never describe me that way. But, you know, I was bumping along in my own silent bubble playing games and relationships and, and trying to figure out why I wasn't getting what I wanted um, when I was acting like a generator and acting like a projector and it wasn't going my way. And I was very angry and I acted out over many years um, as many different incorrect versions of myself, uh, sexually in relationships, all of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I can certainly see that among many other, you know, issues and patterns and and wounds in my history of relationships. But just to isolate it to that manifestor experience, you know that those behaviors of well I will as a female try to submit myself I'll try to make myself small to try to keep these people around me happy but you know then then my partner is still not able to read me and still not giving me what I want so I'm angry and swinging the other way to then trying to be dominating and trying to be controlling saying well if you're not going to read me and you're not going to understand me and you're not going to give me what I want then I'll you know, burn the whole world, I'll crash everything down, and I'll take control over everything. And um, I think that that pattern for female manifestors is just really recognizable for us mm -hmm. in relationships, yeah, where, where we can at least respectively, right, sorry, retrospectively, we can at least kind of like, look back and see, oh, all of those years when I was just consistently angry in relationships, that's why. Um, and it gives us so much insight as well into what feelings and beliefs we developed around anger mm. and how we, how we use anger in relationships. I'm so curious about your experience with, with that anger in particular. How did you feel like anger has been received in your past relationships and what, what did um, that lead to in terms of your, your perspectives and your beliefs about being angry? Well, I'd say that my flavor of anger has always been resentment. Mm -hmm. So I always held mine in and I wasn't able to really recognize it. I've, I've never been the type of manifester who would allow herself to explode. You know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not the girl who was in screaming matches with my partner ever. Um, but I was the girl who would people please and people please and people please and perform and give and give and give and knock it back and not get what I wanted. And then just end up very resentful and unhealthy. 
And I would take that out on my partners and expect things from them that I didn't ask for. And yeah, I mean, anger for sure always came up for me when I was living incorrectly. And when I do, I mean, anger, anger is, it's always going to be there for us, right? Like I love my anger now. It is my guidepost. It tells me when things are off. I'm, I'm just learning now how to allow it to come out as real anger, as anger that other people can recognize as anger. Um, you know, my partner, I laugh all the time. He tells me that there's nothing that he would love to see more than me get really angry and yell at him. And <laughs> you know, that, that, that's on my to-do list. That's what I hope to <laughs> get to and, and how I envision a very, very healthy relationship. I think I'm not sure, but for me throughout my life and now I think my particular flavor is resentment. And I know that if I don't live correctly and, and I keep patterns up the way that I had, um, that's how I hold it. I'm not sure if that answers that question. Yeah, no, that's really good. I, you know, I, again, have spoken about this a few times, but not hugely focused on it. Um, but this difference between the ways that we can experience anger as manifestors, and we do either have this internalized experience of anger, where it is that kind of deep seething resentment, where mm -hmm. it does lead us to eventually behaviors of um, manipulation, right? We, we play games because we want to dislodge that feeling of resentment, but we don't feel quite capable or safe to express that verbally mm -hmm. and have that out. Um, and, it, you know, even reflecting on like relationships that I had during my teen years with people saying to me, you just, you play games, you play games. And I was so confused by that as a teenager, so confused because I was like, I'm, I'm not playing games. I'm not trying to play games I just I just want you to understand me right oh, and it, wow. right yeah and it's only now all of these years later that I can look back and see because I really didn't feel like you know as a young woman that I I was able to or safe to mm -hmm. express you know that out outwards verbal expression of anger in a relationship um but that's the other way that our anger can go right we have this internal resentment or we have this external sort of volcanic explosion of mm -hmm. anger and traditionally in my experience that's where we've seen more male manifestors will use their anger in that way and well, I mean there's extremes on both sides right whatever I love that the wording that you use of your particular flavor I think that we do have a propensity to one way or the other my mm -hmm. particular flavor is actually external you know expression like this like explosion of anger um but there are healthy and unhealthy ways of doing that, right? How do we express this anger in a way that's not harmful to other people and that's not detrimental to a relationship and that's not aggressive, that's not violent, right? That's not saying things that we don't mean. Um, and, and there's so much built into that around healthy communication in mm. relationships, which just becomes more and more paramount as you get older right, in partnerships, marriages, parenting, family dynamics, all of those areas. I would love to know what your experience has been with journeying through intimacy as a manifester, right, that we have this 
I was going to say issue. I don't want to refer to it as an issue. We have this closed aura, right, which which creates its own experience and can be so challenging in intimacy. And I think that even if we we are in alignment as a manifester and, you know, we have been doing the informing and we are honouring that, that anger and the expression of it in relationships, we can still really struggle with intimacy. But what, what has your experience been with that? I, gosh, I love what you said in your, I listened to your episode today about intimacy several times, actually, (laughs) Um, you know, a couple of things that really stood out to me as yes, of course, that's us is that I think we have to learn and it sounds so simple and it sounds so silly, but the people in our lives don't get it that we have to truly ask for the intimacy that we want and we have to be available for that. It's not a given for us, but I think what's really interesting for me personally is that, you know, I've moved through my whole life and all of my relationships craving that intimacy so much and thinking the whole time that I was asking for it clearly, energetically, that the people who, who loved me should be able to not only see that I want that intimacy, but feel invited to give it to me. But more than that, I mean, I I don't even, I mean, I guess, I guess if you, (laughs) I'm just stumbling here on this one because it's so, it's such a, I think I just need to like sit and think of my thoughts here for a moment. (laughs) That's fine. Take your time and then inform us when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it comes down to manifestors have to learn how to ask for intimacy, but also we have to learn how to become available for it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so easy for us to jump right into sexual relationships and performance to avoid what is actually intimacy that takes us years, sometimes decades to learn. I think manifestors are very good at attracting sexual partners and we're very good at entertaining people and, you know, we're mysterious and we're sensual and we're interesting. And it's very easy for us to perform. But really when we look at that, I think there comes a moment in every manifestor's life where we realize that we're not getting the intimacy that I think deep down, most of us crave more than anything, more than sex, you know, more than success and all these other things that other types understand. Um, but it's, it, it, we have to ask for it and, and learning how to break down our aura and allow people in to be intimate with us and allow other people, like you said, like, I think it was a beautiful thing that you said in your episode that you had to learn how to inform your projector partner that sometimes you want him to initiate the intimacy, to take that role on, 
to give you the opportunity to breathe and not have to ask for it all the time. And now that you have that beautiful dynamic where it sounds like sometimes he does that and is able to give that to you without you asking, because the hardest thing for any manifester to ask for is intimacy. But I think that's what most every manifester wants more than anything else, because that's peace. I mean, what's more peaceful than intimacy, being truly intimate and available and vulnerable with your partner, um, or even with yourself, with your family. Uh, it's really hard to, to define that for yourself as a manifester. And it's really easy to define what it's like to be sexual, interesting, powerful, all those other things that that I think we spend so much of our lives doing well. Um, but when it comes to intimacy, we all, we all have such a problem, mm-hmm. but it breaks our little souls. Like we're really kind, loving beings under, under this aura for the most part. And so it, it just breaks my heart when people don't see that in us, but we have to tell them, we have to let them give that to us because otherwise we just come across as don't touch me. You know, I don't want to be intimate. Let's just have sex. Let's, you know, what else can we do? Like, it's okay. This can be an easy relationship. This can be a light relationship. This can be casual, fun, whatever. Um, But yeah, it means a lot when a manifester wants to be intimate with you and we are not built to be rejected. So (laughs) when you do find that person that you want that intimacy with, it's a process. And for me, you know, I love my partner so much and, and he's a projector and for him, intimacy comes so naturally. You know, he'll sit down with, with a stranger on the street and have the most intimate, personal, one-on-one conversation. Within two minutes of meeting him, he can stick his little claws in someone and, and there you go. But with me, it's like, you know, I, I, I tell him all the time, like, oh, in that moment, you know, I really wanted to, to tell you how much I love you. And, you know, I just wanted to like lay down and be quiet with you and, and be intimate. And he's like, what? Like, what intimacy? Like, you don't know how to be intimate. And that just breaks our heart. We're like, we do, we do. We want the intimacy. We want all of that stuff that we understand from such a emotional level, especially I'm an emotional manifester. So on crack, you know, (laughs) I I amplify this even more. Um, But we just yearn for it. I yearn for intimacy so much. And I'm just learning now how to ask for it, but also to your point to, I'm learning how to become available for it Mm -hmm. and empower my partners to give that to me in the way that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's hard. It's really hard. It's so good. It's so good. And there's so much, there's so many points in there that I'm like, oh, I didn't want to pick that apart and pick that apart and so much. And I think, you know, what really stands out to me is that distinction between, yes, we know that we need to inform. Of course, we need to inform, right? We need to um, own this, this role of being the initiators. And so mechanically, I think that eventually we can work out as manifestors how, how to use that. 
how to say, okay, well, I will inform my partner of the type of intimacy that I want, or, you know, I, I will inform my partner that I don't want to initiate, that I want my partner to initiate for me. But what we do exactly struggle with, exactly as you articulated, and I love it so much, is this willingness to be available then to mm. receive it and to participate in that intimacy. And the word that comes to mind for me around that is safety mm-hmm. and how significantly important it is for us mm-hmm. to understand what safety feels like and looks like to us and to be, to be willing to be trusting of that, to surrender to that safety. I think that has been probably the number one part of my journey with with intimacy. And for a very, very long time, I really thought that that was just part of healing sexual trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And healing from, from prolonged sexual abuse. But I, you know, now into these years of understanding myself as a manifester, I can see how much of that was actually interwoven with the experience of being a manifester. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's so vulnerable for us to to A, do the work to bring somebody into our aura, right? Because mm. that is hard. We, mm. <laughs> we're bringing somebody through a brick wall oh, into, yep. into our space, right? So it's, yeah. it's physically, it's exhausting to do that. And it's very deliberate and it's very conscientious. But then when they're there, we're very exposed mm. because we normally live behind this aura alone, right? Where it's there's a guaranteed safety behind mm-hmm. our aura when, when it's just us that we're reliant on. But of course, that's exactly the place where we have this deepest craving, where mm-hmm. we do want intimacy. We do want to be fully and completely seen and accepted mm-hmm. because we, we are not naturally seen, right? Mm-hmm. We're naturally, again, I love that you touched on this, we're naturally enigmatic, right? We're charming, like we are appealing, we're sensual, we can be entertainers, 100% we can be performers, especially if you have a four, five or six in your profile, right? You're, mm. you're like a natural born attractor. But the stark difference between I'm performing for you, mm. right? I'm, I'm a monkey that's doing what you want me to to keep you happy, right, and to keep you around in my space and, and to keep you telling me that you like me and you adore me. That's very, very different to I'm actually willing to trust you, that I can mm-hmm. trust you to be in this very sacred sanctuary that I live in and that it's going to be safe oh, yeah. for me to let you in to do that. Has that been something that you have journeyed through? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, we are the the untrustworthy type, right? So people naturally don't trust us to begin with. But but yeah, I mean, to to go back to, I think two things you hit on there are really resonating with me. The first is is safety, which of course translates to fear. You know, I also, like you, have sexual abuse in my past, and that's something I've had to work through as well in learning about my type and learning to separate that from just who we are. So first and foremost, yeah, 
yeah, we have to be safe. And the running joke is foreplay was created for manifestors, right? Like we have <laughs> time. Yeah. Like, you know, I should know I have a splenic partner. Sometimes, you know, it, he wants it and it'll take me six hours to get there to match him. And by that time it's over for him. Yeah. And that's, that's a struggle. We had. <laughs> but yeah, you have to be safe. You have to have a process and a partner that works to get you there when you want that intimacy in order to even, even get close. Um, but then, you know, the other side of that, sure, after you are safe and, and you have that person and you've done the work, we're still plagued by the fear of rejection, no matter what we do. Um, manifestors are more afraid of rejection and loss than anybody else. And it's not because we have self-esteem issues. It's not because we're afraid to be alone. It's not because we need a partner or we need sex or we need intimacy, but it's because we don't like being rejected. And a big part of our life is learning how to embrace that and taking it as a positive and not a negative. And I mean, eight times out of 10, when we initiate something, it might be rejected. And that's just as important for us for the things that work out. So I think for me, safety and fear and fear of loss and fear of rejection, it's all kind of muddled into that aura, which you put all that and like, you know, what are people, no wonder they come in our presence and they don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going on? Right. We come with a lot. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, when, when people around us struggle <laughs> to understand us, my thought is always like, well, get in line. I am still struggling to understand me. <laughs> there is a lot happening behind this aura. And so I need to work on that before I can then tell you what's mm. happening. And I really think that we need to come to a place in our journey where we are just okay with that where we are just accepting of the fact that we chose to come here for a very big, unique, rare experience. And, you know, again, like that whole great power comes with great responsibility. We carry a heavy load, right? We carry this this burden of responsibility. And I don't think that we should... um, you know, like uh, criminalize that, I, you know, a, a lot of um, manifestors can get really caught in this cycle of, well, it's just too hard. It's too hard being a manifester. And so I don't, I don't want to deal with any of it. And I, I think that all of us can attest to have having those thoughts, right. And having those experiences and having those days where it just seems like too much <laughs> to continue doing this. Right. Um, but it's so helpful for me to always come back to this place of I chose this. I chose this. This was not ever thrust upon me. This is not happening to me. I voluntarily set myself up in this life to be born at this particular time in this particular place to these particular parents. You know, I chose to fall in love with this particular man. Heck, I chose to have this particular version of sexuality, right? 
I chose to be heterosexual and, and all that that entails. I chose to be a manifester at a time when we are going through this, this huge gender shift in mm. society. I came as a female manifester rather than as a, as a male manifester. And, you know, I've, my father is a manifester and one of my sons are, is a manifester. And so looking at this dynamic of seeing how my father behaved in relationships and how my son behaves in relationships and my experience through relationships, you know, and especially mm. when that comes to intimacy, I do think that there is this additional layer um, probably just exacerbated, really. We've kind of got this, like, spotlight and this intensity on that issue of safety as females, mm. right, of, of allowing ourselves to be open to intimacy. And I'm, I'm genuinely curious about how many manifestors have gone through the experience of sexual trauma mm. because on an energetic level I can absolutely see how there's a link there mm. that manifestors have this magnetic power mm. right it's intoxicating for other people and traditionally over the past couple of hundred years in our society anybody that has had power has been very desirable, not as an individual, but they've been desirable for that power. And so others have sought to take it. Mm. And that's that's been acceptable to mm. take power from people. And particularly as females, we know that the rate of, of sexual abuse and sexual trauma is incredibly high for females, you know, 50%. So one in two females mm. will have experienced significant sexual trauma. And, mm. you know, I, I wonder how that plays into that manifesto journey because we've been females with power in a society full of males who want power and take mm. it through sexual dominance, right? Mm. And so is this, is this part of our, our generational experience mm. as manifestors here as well to move through this additional um, aspect, this additional layer of safety and coming to this place of healing around, around being vulnerable, around intimacy, around not only energetically making ourselves available for shared intimacy with other people, but physically making ourselves available for shared intimacy with other people. That's not sex, right? Because exactly what you said, sex can be easy for us. Mm. Right? We can play that. We can play that role. Um, I think too, you know, I had a question and now I've just completely forgotten it, but it's, you know, perhaps this is part of this leadership role for us as manifestors if we look at all of the manifestors that are coming right for me looking at my son um mm. for looking at all these manifestors that are, are being born into these new generations do you think that we have this um really sacred burden of responsibility here to be learning our way through intimacy as manifestors and really healing into that safety healing into that trust so that we can teach these next generations of manifestors how to do that do you feel like that's something that's important for you hmm. I definitely think there's something there hmm. um, it's so interesting to hear you connect power to to sexual abuse and trauma and I think I think that merits an entire conversation on its own. Agreed, yeah. But yeah, I mean, un undoubtedly, 
I could get behind the idea that people who are built like us, who go through experiences like that and, you know, have to lose your power and rebuild that power and heal and, and really take a, a big hit in intimacy and love and sex and have to come back from that while also learning who we are at the same time. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it is our responsibility to, to be some sort of example of, of how to do that well. I mean, we will always have impact and we will never be people who can stay small and I think that across the board, you know, as like, I mean, you, you can't say this, but if there's someone who's going to be abused and make something of it, it's going to be a manifester. And, you know, not only are we built to withstand that and come back from it, but, but sure. Yeah. I mean, I think as, as beings, um, we emanate power and part of that is, is having to own that and stand up for ourselves and also acknowledge that there are people who will always want to take that from us. And as female manifestors, two of whom have experienced male trauma. Um, yeah, I think that's very real. And I think it's really interesting. And I hope that the future generations have fewer stats than we did. <laughs> agree. Yeah, totally yeah. agreed. That's so fascinating, Holly. I've, I've, I've never thought about that tie, but, um, but now that you, you put it like that. Yeah. I mean, where there's power, people want it and mm. where there's power and vulnerability mixed together. Then there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Trouble. It creates trouble. Yeah. How do you feel like being a manifester or experiencing that, that manifester energy has informed your sexuality? How has it informed my sexuality? Well, I think I have to start with, again, looking retroactively at how I lived my life and how I used sex, which was a lot of not self patterns. Um, I think in my not self, as I alluded to before, you know, it was very comfortable for me to use sex to get what I wanted and use it as a tool to avoid informing and avoid living my life correctly. Um, and it worked very well. You know, I think a lot of manifestors, like I said, I think we're very good at sex. I think we're also very susceptible to, um, you know, other things like we're, we're very, I think manifestors are very susceptible, not only to an unhealthy sex life and patterns, but also addiction and also you know, using sex as a tool to avoid living the way that we are supposed to. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think I need to pause and think about how is it, <laughs> what's all the negative? That's all the not self. Like it is not where I am now. 
<laughs> back, it was like, goodness. Yeah. Jeez, there's so much there. I think now being a manifester, you know, I, I'm, I understand that it's my role to hold the power when it comes to sex and decide what sex is going to be for me mm-hmm. and, and decide what sex is going to be in my relationship. And I mean, to get uber complicated, I also happen to have the 41st gate, which is the only love gate that connects love to sex. So for me personally, I lived the majority of my life ruled by that gate, which was a lot of sex and a lot of partners and a lot of incorrect relationships looking for love through sex, because I thought in that not self, in that open center, ruled by that gate, being conditioned by people all around me and all of those relationships that in order to find love, I had to initiate sex and start there. And I also loved what you shared in your episode today that you had a propensity to jump right into physical before you hit intimacy, both to avoid intimacy, but also because that just felt natural for you. You know, it was how quickly can we hold hands? How quickly can we do this and do that and hop to a sexual relationship? Because that's you know, maybe, maybe for you, just, I did that as well. And when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, of course. I mean, that's, that's how I've initiated many relationships incorrectly. Um, So really, I think right now, part of my deconditioning is, is separating love from sex, from intimacy. Mm. And I'm learning how to create the sex life that I want according to the relationship that I'm in that's correct not only for me but for my partner and our connection um and that is science (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's this missing element I feel for manifestors and again I haven't spoken to male manifestors about this specifically so I'm not sure if there's a difference between the genders here but I feel that we need to have this ownership over our role in sexuality Mm -hmm. right that yes we are actually good at sex and we are great of course naturally at initiating exactly the experience that we want to have in a sexual exchange. But we, because we are so, I think that we are so conditioned. I wouldn't say that we're scared. I think that we're very conditioned to believe that that's not acceptable to have ownership over that, that we mix it in with a whole bunch of other things that are seemingly more acceptable. And we start to get this real muddiness around sex versus intimacy versus love versus connection right Mm. and because sex is that leaping off point because that's the easiest entry point for us to get this connection to get this intimacy to determine whether somebody is accepting us and loving us that is naturally where we move to 
naturally. Mm-hmm. But in doing that, we feel so much shame about mm-hmm. it, so much shame. And particularly for people who have been brought up, um, you know, with uh, religious value systems or in religious families or, you know, religious organisations, there's a whole bunch of extra shame that mm-hmm. gets put on that. And, you know, in my story, the number of sexual encounters and um, I guess like sexual decisions, you know, like making these conscious decisions to be like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to initiate this and I'm going to push for this and I'm going to create this relationship here. That's very sexually driven. The number Mm -hmm. of experiences like that, that I had that I never, ever spoke about, never, ever. Right. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) You've got to keep that secret. And it, it becomes like this, like, dirty dirty secret in the closet right this this secret shame um and that certainly had an impact on my marriage now in Mm. later years and you know my children at the moment are 12 10 and 7 my daughter's in the middle she's the 10 year old and you know watching my kids like come into puberty and Mm. starting to experiment with um sexuality and understanding their sexual identity and relationships and you know um, boys or girls that they're into. And I've just tried to be so mindful of not only the language that we use around that as parents, but also as a manifester, knowing that I'm the initiator for my whole family mm. to say, how can I uh, allow my truth and allow my vulnerability from my mm. story to be shared in the context that my kids understand it, right? So that that, that they don't feel this shame. Mm. They don't feel this suppression, right? There's just this, so much of it is tied into like what the collective is experiencing at the moment and, and you know, being more willing to talk about sexuality and um, sexual acts and sexual encounters and sexual relationships. And um, even culturally, you know, because I'm Australian, we're a good like 10 years behind here in Australia. We're still very British. We're like... <laughs> We don't talk about the bedroom things, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not acceptable. But I spent a lot of time in the States and, mm. and Americans are very vocal and very progressive about sex. You know, having conversations with Americans about vibrators and sex toys and orgasms and it's, you know, it's challenging. Mm. That's really, really challenging. Um, and I, you know, this, I, I think that we just need to, probably just become willing to push ourselves and and to move into those uncomfortable spaces and conversations and experiences about sex and even if if all that looks like for us as manifestors right now is to say well all of those things that I thought were dirty and shameful right all of those times that I initiated sex that I created sexual relationships that you know I I pushed a sexual agenda I instead of keeping them secret now I'm going to talk about them Mm. right oh, yeah. now now I'm going to let that out and and perhaps that's all we need to do to begin this healing process yeah yeah I I think it's absolutely correct for us but we do have to teach ourselves how to let all of that out and actually use our voices which I think is a very big point that you're making um you know I've I've seen in my own path too where I always know what I want sexually in my mind And I am, you know, I'm also have a particular gate that, you know, 
I'm very susceptible to fantasy and desire. And, and those things are always that I, they're very accessible in my mind, but much like my anger, I suppress those and I keep them inside and I don't always know how to let them out and, and share them, whether or not I get them, whether or not they're even about my relationship or what I really want. I think as things like that come up for us, we have to let them out. Absolutely. Um, and I, you're right. I mean, it is, there's a layer of shame and also conditioning that we learn throughout our lifetime. And, you know, I'd be interested too, to, to understand if other manifestors kind of like, I think a similar pattern that I've seen too, is that we tend to kind of go through this like sexual renaissance in our, in our young twenties and our late mm. teens. I think when manifestors sort of come into their power, they find that very quickly and they, they have those years, which packs a lot in. But then I think something quite interesting is that we, we sort of tend to dim down. You know, we have that and we find our power and we learn how to use sex in that way. And, and we have really interesting experiences, but I do find that a lot of us seem to then want to bring that down. Mm. And, um, perhaps it is shame or perhaps it's a, it is all the conditioning that we get from society, but yeah, I think we have to help each other inform not only of what we want and what is appropriate for our relationship and our partner and all of those things, but also just be okay with speaking our desires and teaching our kids or letting them talk about whatever comes up and all of it. Yeah. 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 I could not agree more. And our, our voice is always that access point, Mm -hmm. always that access point, which is why it makes it so difficult to use, right. That, that we always have this tendency to step into silence rather than, than into vocalizing Um, because it's, it's the beginning of everything Mm -hmm. for us the voice mm-hmm. um and I think too you know in terms of I love that the term like sexual renaissance it's so correct I think that we have this uh kind of reflective conditioning that we're very unconsciously taking on from the generators and the manifesting generators right with that defined sacral center they're incredibly sexual beings but they're consistently sexual mm-hmm. and um it's that real physical sexuality right and that's what we learn about what sexuality is. And we can't meet that. We can't consistently meet that requirement, right? And I, and I wonder how much we, you know, dim ourselves down under this, this guise of, well, now I'm growing up. Mm-hmm. Now I'm settling down and those things aren't acceptable anymore. And, you know, when I was younger, I could, I could do that. But, but now I'm meant to be settled. And now I'm meant to be mature. It's almost this like toxic surrender to, well, I don't have the physical energy to do mm. it that way. So therefore I'm not sexual. Mm. Okay. When actually we are, we just oh, have to yeah. do it by, by our own set of rules. Yeah. And what I've learned, I mean, especially in my dynamics right now in this moment in my life, what better excuse to learn how to make 
a sexual encounter everything that you want it to be. I mean, talk about foreplay and waiting and and choosing moments where we can be present and intimate. You can't do that every day. Mm-mm. I wouldn't want to do that every day. You can't. Oh gosh. <laughs> yes. No, you may have sex once a month. You may have sex once every two, three weeks. But if you're if you're in a situation where you can build a container where that's exactly what you want it to be, then we are certainly built for that too. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that, you know, if you go to brunch and you tell your girlfriends that you're only having sex once a month in your relationship, they automatically think something's wrong. Yeah. They say, you know, well, what do you mean? How much sex are you having? How is the sex? Is it crazy? Like, you know, all these questions that every Hollywood movie covers is not, not necessarily even remotely accurate of what it's like to have a healthy and fulfilling sex life for a manifester mm-hmm. at all. I love, I love that you touched on that. I love that you touched on the frequency of, you know, sexual interactions and like, it, we can't do that every day, guys. Like we can't. We can't, but it is a process to have to be okay with that because I will tell you that this is the first relationship I've ever been in where I have fully surrendered to this is actually okay. Yes. and I certainly went through a period of we're not having enough sex. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. If we had more sex, everything would be like all of the things came up. And only just now am I starting to experience what I hope is the standard of relationships for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, my gosh. Getting rid of all that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> drop that package yes that really brings to mind this experience that I had about a year ago when I was in New York for a mastermind and the particular group of women that I was with are all manifesting generators all of them and uh, we were having this conversation you know about sex and sexuality and relationships and of course that that question came up of how frequently are you having sex and what type of orgasms do you have and you know what kind of games do you play and how long does your sex go for and I was like look I am a manifesto woman married to a projector man with three children like we have sex once a month and that's probably as as good as it gets like once every two to three months is is even better like it requires so much energetic preparation to have this experience with each other and you know they were baffled you know and of course all of that response came back of like well that's not enough and how are you not having these types of orgasms and you know why are you not doing it like this like try this way and try that way and it was such a moment for me. I, I mean, I really, I just laughed. I kind of at the time, like nodded and smiled and said, thanks everybody. And and then, you know, went back to the hotel to my husband and we had a good laugh about it. Um, but I, I, it's, we've got to get to that place with mm-hmm. ourselves of saying, you know, I, I just, I'm not going to keep up with the sex in the city expectations of this. And it doesn't matter how many people tell me how I should be doing this how frequently or in what way or with what partners you know Mm. I I I get to make my own rules I get to do this in my own pathway I get to initiate this to be the way that I want it to be always always I mean that's beautiful and and I'm so happy to hear you (laughs) 
you know, minus the three children, I'm in the same situation as you. And it's, it's different and it, it's correct for me and this relationship. Um, if I was with a manifesting generator, things might be very different. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you got to nix all that conditioning and just be okay with, I mean, talk about quality over quantity. I hate to share a fortune. True. Quote of the days, manifest for sex is quality over quantity. Something <laughs> <laughs> right. like that. Take that little insight away. Before yeah. we wrap up, stepping away from intimacy and relationships and sexuality a little bit, I'd love to just briefly touch on with you um, the experience of auric stereotypes and how how you feel that's playing out in the human design space, how you feel that's impacting manifestors and our personal journeys. Yeah. I think that manifestors certainly struggle the most with our auric stereotype, but I think I mean, I think auric stereotypes are doing us all a really big favor right now, because I think that as human design is becoming more and more mainstream and this knowledge is getting out there, the people who know the least know at least the orotypes generally. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And nothing but good comes of that. Um, being able to have more people who can relate to others just by knowing their auras, just by knowing their type and having that language and having that knowledge, I think is, is a huge plus that's growing and growing and growing, um, which is wonderful. So yay that. Um, <laughs> High five. Yeah. <laughs> more people understand. Um, but I think for, I mean, for, if you mean just specifically the manifestor or stereotype, do you mean just ours? Yeah, well, anything you want to speak on. But yeah, I guess like the manifesto one is the, the most relevant to us. Yeah, I just, I think it's just the hardest, the, I just think it's, it's the most important thing for, for people to know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we just need to be able to introduce ourselves with our aura type. You know, we have to feel empowered to tell people, hi, my name is Tessa and I have a closed and repelling aura. <laughs> put it put it on a name tag <laughs> right. the amount of times that I wish that I had had that that I still wish you know I work with people daily who who don't know human design and, and who aren't ready for it yet and I still try and explain myself in terms that help explain my aura you know I, I use language that they understand I say I'm a little bit hard to read some people say that I come across as, you know, closed off or, or secretive or, you know, fair warning. I tend to get in trouble. So look out. <laughs> All those things. Um, so I think, I think auric stereotypes are, are a blessing for us to learn and be aware of so that we can better inform those around us mm. and introduce ourselves and also be able to recognize others. You know, the, the other aura types are very different than ours. Yeah. And it's super important for us to be able to recognize them and, and use their stereotypes to our advantage, just like we expect them to use ours to theirs. 
Mm, for sure. It was a really powerful part of my journey, just gaining the tidbit of information that we are the only type with a closed aura, mm-hmm. that everyone else has some version of open aura. Um, and that just hit me, right, that everyone else can energetically interact with each other effortlessly. They can move in and out of each other's energetic space. They can read each other. They can immediately understand each other. They all seem open and warm and inclusive and part of the club. And then 9% of manifestors over here are like jumping up and down on the sidelines saying like, let me onto the team. Let me in the club. I want to be part of it. And everyone thinks that we're, we're closed off, right? And that <laughs> we're, we're like too cool for school over here. And, you know, beyond that, like our our aura has so many mechanic implications Mm -hmm. that our aura is what determines our need for the strategy or the technique of informing, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we have to inform. It's also why informing feels completely unnatural to us Mm -hmm. and it's always difficult. Um, our, Our aura determines how we are interacting with people, right? Our aura determines how people are receiving us before we're even physically present in their space. And just even, even alone understanding that we have this ability to magnetize people or repel people, mm. right? And it's out of our control because it's, mm-hmm. happening, it's happening well away from you, well away from your body, well away from your words. And additionally, I think that one thing that doesn't get represented much in human design teaching is that manifestors have the biggest aura of mm. everyone. We have this big auric field, like this big, big energetic space, and it's closed, right? It's a locked jail cell. So <laughs> we, we impact people. We impact. Even when we're trying not to impact people, we impact people. Mm. We're, always, we're always impacting. Um, and for me, that really showed me how important it was to bring myself into alignment, to be using my energy to just own that role of initiator, mm-hmm. right? Even when I'm not intentionally initiating, that mm. my energy is doing it for me, mm-hmm. yeah? You know, that whole, the whole spiritual concept of energy speaks. Manifestors are the living embodiment. Of oh, yeah. Because everything that is happening is hitting people two kilometres ahead of where you're standing and, and they're feeling that, um, which can be disheartening or it can be empowering. Mm. I prefer to look at it as empowering. Have you felt like that, you know, because we get taught so frequently, like our aura is closed and repelling and closed and repelling and closed and repelling. Mm. Have you felt like that's been a limitation for you or that's been a challenge, right? Did that kind of bring you down at any point? I love my aura. (laughs) (laughs) Let's paint the scenario here of a manifestor walks in a bar, you know, <laughs> good joke. Love it already. <laughs> a female manifestor walks in a bar and whether they know it or not, every single person in that space feels it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a gift to have that without doing anything. We enter any room And you automatically, without opening your mouth, without even knowing why you're there, you're holding everyone's attention and everyone looks at you and says, what's up? What's going on? Mm -hmm. You about to do something big? I can feel it. 
And I think like it's, it has been of course challenging and yes, you know, in the same bar, when you initiate a conversation with a whoever, you have just as much of a chance that they're going to be repelled and run away as you do that they're going to be interested and want to hear and all the other things. But um, I see our, our auras, it's, it's such a gift. Also, I mean, we, our closed aura is our ideas incubator. And we, we have that gift of we're constantly brewing these brilliant, creative gifts to the world that stay there and they're ours to protect and ours to decide when we want to pull them out and share them with people. And we couldn't do that if our aura was open and there for everyone to come in and sniff around. Like we need that protection. Mm. And on the same thread, our love and our intimacy and our availability is earned unlike any other type in the world. And for the people who are in our lives and who really get to know us and understand us and love us, when they're able to feel and accept our love, when we're able to pull it out of that aura and give it to people and they can receive it. I mean, I don't know what it feels like on the other side, but I imagine that it feels very special. And I like to think of it that way. I like to think of it as we have so much to give and it's very special and it's only our type that can do it in that way. That's such a beautiful reframe. I love it. I love it. Our aura is a gift, a very, very special gift and a privilege to share with others. That's beautiful. I'm going to leave it on that wisdom because I don't think we can improve on that. (laughs) That's an amazing piece of wisdom for people to take with them. Um, For those of, of the people who are listening, who would love to hear more about you or follow you or be in contact with you, where can they do that? Um, so the best way to get in touch with me is Instagram. Um, so I'm at Tess Hayward. I'm sure Holly will drop that in the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I do strategic growth consulting for wellness and conscious entrepreneurs and brands. I come from a background in the advertising world and um, yeah, it's currently where I am. I also make trash cans out of recycled ocean plastic. <laughs> that's so manifesto I do this thing and then I also do this completely wild illogical separate thing right (laughs) manifesto nature (laughs) so beautiful well I will drop all of Tessa's links in the show notes below so you can jump on follow her work with her if her energy appeals to you check out her offers um but Tessa this has just been so beautiful and so amazing to have this conversation you're an incredibly special human being, even just outside of the, the manifestoriness. So it's been a joy. It's been really nurturing and very nourishing for me to have this conversation with you. So thank you for being here and for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Holly. This was so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. I hope that my words, my sharing and the spiritual wisdom that came through today's episode have a magnificently transforming impact on your life. 
If you love this episode, I would be so humbly and truly grateful if you would share it on your social media. You can tag me on Instagram or Facebook at the Holly Marie. And also please consider taking a moment to leave a review right here on iTunes so that this information, this podcast and this spiritual transformation can be spread to even more people. Again, I cannot wait to see you for the next episode of Hunting for Purpose.